0: Psalms, uh, chapter uh, s- uh, 78, verse 6, Psalms, chapter 78, verse 6, and um, one more time, and I know I'm a little partial, whatever, how many people enjoyed just the worship today led by our youth band and everything else, and, uh, and here's, here's what's great, and this is what I love to see is um, how many people were here uh, for, for Cake and youth Sunday, we used to do it in May, uh, two years ago, how many people have been here two years ago, all right? Um, I, I got to give him a little bit of just recognition. How many people remember that young little ninth grader uh, getting up at the end of my message and leading one song uh, named Matthew Hunt? How many people remember him there, right? And, uh, and to see the growth that he's done now and, and I mean just literally the, when, like, when the dude just like stopped, put his guitar up and then just grabbed the mic and still led and went over here and led it, I'm like, shut up, that's awesome. You know, and uh, and it's not just him. I mean, it's just the whole youth band. And yeah, we're we're spoiled on Wednesday nights. We we are. Uh, I've I've actually been a part of a youth ministry that didn't have a uh, that didn't have a youth band and trying to cobble together one. I'm not I'm not kidding you that they were trying to cobble together one and the one that was already there couldn't the the drummer that was already there couldn't keep beat and me trying to having to break that message of saying I'm I'm sorry like. I, I, you're throwing everybody off, man. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to clap rhythm with him, and he can't even keep rhythm, I mean, it was, it was rough. So I'm spoiled, and, uh, and the teenagers that are here are spoiled as well. So, all right, let's get into it. Um, Psalms uh, 78, uh, 78, verse 6. Um, uh, I'm really going to focus on one part of this scripture. I know they're going to put it on the screen, um, and, that, and here's what the scripture says. Let's read it together. It says, so that the next generation would know. And so that the next generation would know, and I know the rest of the verse really kind of goes on, talk about how, you know, uh, uh, you know, that's that way we could teach our children, and they would teach their children, and so forth, and so on, and, and, uh, and that's, that's what, as the church, that's kind of what we're in the business of, is uh, yes, we want to see, we want to outreach to our community, we want to see uh, the, the people, regardless of age, coming to a uh, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and everything else, but... As a church, we also have the responsibility of investing in the next generation so that the next generation would know. Because as we see now, it will will not be long before these young adults and children who now we label them as the future of the church before they become the present of the church. It will not be long. And in fact, some of the things that they're doing now, it already is our present we're already looking at reality. It's very difficult for me to look at a youth band and say you are the future of the church when and what they do is already so incredible. That's that's the present of the church. Right? And so we all agree that yes, we want as a church to invest in the next generation, but how do we do that? You know, how how do we make that happen? How do we create an environment uh, to where we can make sure that the next generation knows? And more importantly, as an individual person sitting in your seat, what's your role to play? How can you best do it? What are the most effective ways that we could invest in the next generation to make sure that they know? And as I began to really pray about this and study this, <coughs> there's a lot of things that began to kind of roll in my mind, like what elements, what factors could we provide for our, for our children and for our teenagers that would make sure that they know? And so I began to look at a couple of things, and so the first thing that came up is, okay, it, it, what's the greatest one? Well, could it be maybe providing a safe environment? Well, Sure. That, that's, that's absolutely a necessity. Nobody wants to drop their kids or their teens off to an unsafe environment. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's good, but could there be something greater? I, I'm actually looking for the number one. What was the biggest thing that I could provide and that you could provide that would allow our generation to know? And so a safe environment's good, but are there greater things? What about, uh, what about uh, providing events and opportunities for our young people that they couldn't provide for themselves? Well, sure. I mean, nobody would not want that. So that's a good thing, but could there be something greater? What about an incredible worship service? And we saw that, and that's good, but is there something greater? What about great preaching? Or maybe even let's partner with the families more. And all those things are good. I would never say that those things aren't good. Those are great But as I really began to pray, I I felt like God dropped something in my spirit of something that is the greatest thing of all next to Jesus Christ. If you as an individual person want to help the next generation know, I believe that the number one thing you could provide for them is great expectations. Because expectations can have such a power in our young people. Expectations can be the difference between someone sitting on the sidelines and never doing anything for Christ and someone actually putting on the jersey and the hat and going and, actually, and going and actually competing. We can do it. I looked up the definition of expectation. This is Webster's Dictionary, and it says this. It says, a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Then I looked up the definition of Webster's of great, and it says this. It says an extent, amount, or an intensity considerably above the normal or average. So if you were to combine the two, having a great expectation for a young person is doing this. It is a strong belief that something will happen considerably above the normal or average. Stephen R. Covey, he's a, a well-known author And he wrote, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says this. He said, said, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. But treat a man as he can and should be, and he will become as he can and should be. Another author by the name of Tanya Hurley wrote this. She said, apart from a few starry-eyed poets or monks living on a mountaintop somewhere, however, we all have expectations. We not only have them, we need them. They fuel our dreams, our hopes, and our lives like some super caffeinated energy drink. So true. Sam Walton, the founder and former president of Walmart, wrote this. He said, high expectations are the key to everything. And Brad Henry, he wrote this. He said, it is only through raising expectations and striving for excellence that our children can reach their full full potential. And expectations, like anything like any variable, can be raised or lowered. If you raise the expectations for our young people, it's amazing how they will live up to it and exceed it. And you're never more like Christ when you do so. If you look at the way Jesus Christ dealt with his disciples all throughout the Gospels, that's consistently what he did, how he treated them. He raised expectations. But if you lower them, and that is possible to lower them. Lowered expectations has the power to kill dreams, hinder progress, and squash growth. Proverbs 10.28 says this, it says, The hope of the righteous bring joy, but the expectations of the wicked will die. There's a very famous study, and I'm, I'm an education major. Uh, that's, uh, that's my background education and everything else. And, and uh, there's a very famous study that I'm pretty sure that all undergrad students have to go through. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. But uh, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, it might be a 20-year-old study. I don't know. But uh, there was a group of researchers who made the decision, we're going to do a study on expectations and how we're going to do it. And this was up in Iowa. Uh, What they did is they uh, randomly selected a group of of, uh, elementary teachers, just by random. Just went to Iowa, looked at different districts, selected by random. They pulled all these teachers in a room, and they told the teachers, hey, um, we've selected you to do a study because you are the best of the best. There is no one better than you. We've done all the research. We've heard from your principals, everything else. There's no one better than you. It wasn't true, but that's what they told them. Then they went and they got, they got this pool of students who were underperforming, considered troubled students, not good test scores, everything else, and then they chose those, some of those students from that pool at random, and they placed them in this school with these teachers. But this is what they told the teachers. They said, these students that you're getting, they're the best of the best. They're the best, brightest, have the most potential. They're going to do the most incredible things. And what we're doing, we're running a study where we're taking the best teachers, not true, and we're, we're giving you the best students that also wasn't true. And we're going to see how y'all perform in the classroom. And they, they monitored them for a year. And wouldn't you know that at the end of the year, test scores were off the charts Behavior, no behavior problems. Teacher and student alike, I mean, classrooms were just this creative force of good. I mean, it was just incredible to see what was happening in these classrooms. And so at the end, they pulled all the teachers in. And they said, these test scores are awesome. What an incredible year. How'd you do it? And they said, well, it's simple. You picked the best of the best teachers. And they said, wrong. We chose you at random. So how'd you do it? They said, well, it's simple. You gave us the best students. They said, wrong again. We actually gave you the worst. So how'd you do it? The light bulb came on, and they said, it's because we had high expectations for them, wasn't it? Yeah. That'll happen in the classroom. Think about how it can happen here. I'm going to take a couple moments today. I'm going to talk about how we can lower expectations but more importantly, how we can raise expectations for our young people. Let's pray. Go from there. Father God, thank you again for today. I pray you'd speak through me, God. I I feel very strong about this message, Father, but I pray you'd speak through me. Help me to communicate it how I feel like you've given it to me. God, you know me in my heart, God, and I I consider myself much better writer (laughs) than I would be communicator, but I ask that you would help me the things that you've given to me on paper. I pray you would help me communicate with my voice. Thank you for today, God, in your name. Amen. All right, uh, ways to lower expectations. We can actually do it. We can do it without even realizing it. But one of the ways that we can lower expectations first and foremost when it comes to the younger generation is we can ignore them. One of the biggest ways that we can lower an expectation for children or for a teenager is to ignore them. Pretend like they don't exist. And yeah, I understand, don't get me wrong, because we'll make excuses. Well, I'm just in my circle. I'm in my friends. I've got my area of expertise you know, or whatever, but the truth is is that if we ignore a child or a teenager, we're lowering expectations for them. Because every single child, every single teenager has this amazing need just like we do to be known, recognized, and valued. And when we do that, even if it's just a second out of our day, and say, I see you, I recognize that you exist, we give them value. But when we walk past and act like we don't know them, there's the potential there to lower their expectations. He's not, the, he's not the greatest theologian in the world. In fact, he's not a theologian at all. But Gandhi said something that's incredible. Because truth is truth. And Gandhi said this. He said, he goes, first, they'll ignore you. And then, they'll laugh at you. And then finally, they'll fight you. And there's an element of truth in that. If you go to Acts if you go to Acts chapter 3, there's an interesting story. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, uh, especially when we start, Peter and John are walking to the temple. This is after Pentecost. Peter and John walk to the temple, and that there's an actual, um, the story goes that there's a, a, um, a crippled man there asking for money. And if you go to verse 4, Peter says something very interesting. It says that Peter looked at him intently and then said, look at me. And the crippled man raised his eyes, and that's when Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. Walk in the name of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting that before Peter did any of that, the first thing he did was that he recognized that that person was there. And it's funny that he said, look at me, because... For him to say, look at me, that, that, means that, that meant that the guy was used to, he was so accustomed to people walking past him and not acting like he existed that he was willing to beg for money with his head down. And how many people walked past him and maybe even said, hey, here's some money, but never recognized that he was there, never gave him value as a person. They just said, here's some money. See, for us, if we're going to impact the next generation, we've got to act and know that they are there. We've got to be willing, just like Peter, at times, maybe you'll see that child coming out of 365 and you'll say, look at me. I love you. You never know how that could impact someone's life. I thank God for someone like Haley Crosby. She didn't know I was going to mention her today. I'm going to give you some examples today. I thank God for a Haley Crosby. Let me tell you what Haley Crosby does for my family. If you ever see it, it's, it's magic. Beautiful. Literally, we'll walk in the door, and my Davis and my Maddie will walk in the door together. Right? Sometimes, maybe often, right? Just because he's a Swagosaurus Rex, Davis, everybody goes, Davis, what's up, dude? Ah! He's like, whoa, hey, right? I mean, he's just that cool right? But oh, when my Maddie walks in the door and Haley Crosby sees her, oh, she comes up and just picks her up, loves on her, praises her. And if you were to ask my Maddie right now, what does Haley Crosby think of you? You know what she would say? She would say, I'm her favorite. Isn't that right? I'm her favorite. You know what she's saying? She's saying, Haley Crosby knows I exist and likes me. I'm her favorite. Who is it that you could do that to today? It doesn't have to be that you've got to go and get involved in Echo on a Wednesday night or give up your Sunday mornings every single Sunday morning to go serve in 365. You know, I'm not saying that you have to do that. But who is that little girl or that young boy that you could go and say, You're my favorite, I love you? Because it makes a difference, it really does. The next way that we can lower expectations is that we can consider them someone else's responsibility. That's a tough one. <laughs> but that's one of the easiest ways is when we go, there's someone else's responsibility. It's someone else responsible to teach them. It's someone else responsible to show them how to be respectful. It's someone else's responsibility to educate them, to show them how to walk uprightly. It's not my job. And we make excuses at times, and and I'm sorry, but this is true, and I've even guilty of it sometimes. So I had to repent myself. But we make excuses about why we think we think the next generation is someone else's responsibility. And we'll make statements like, um, like, well, that that's the parents' job, not mine. But what if they don't have parents? And maybe even the ones that they have, maybe they're not good. We'll make statements like, well, that's why that's why that's why church has a youth program. And that's why we have a children's program. We have youth and children's pastors to do that kind of stuff. And yes, you're right. And thank you for the opportunity. I love it. I love what I get to do. But I can't do it alone. I can't. It can't just be me. It can't just be the Echo team or the 365 team or the Rangers team who loves on these next generation uh, boys and girls. It's a saying goes and it's so true. It takes a village it does. Can we please get to the point that instead of us giving up excuses and saying what we can't do when it comes to the next generation, can we get to the point that we, that we at least say what we can do and then act on it? No one's expecting you to go do everything. But if you find those couple of things that you can do, oh, it's incredible. Let me give you another, another example of someone who lives this out so well. Again, he has no clue I'm going to mention him in this. I think he's here today, right? Jesse Brooks. Jesse Brooks, if I were to go to Jesse Brooks right now and say, Jesse, I want you to come on Wednesday nights, every single Wednesday night, lead a small group of young teens, lead a huddle, invest in their lives, everything else. After he got done laughing at me, he'd go, oh, you're serious. Well, the answer is no. But let me tell you what Jesse does do. Because that's not his gift and his strength, and that's okay. Let me tell you what Jesse does do is that he's come up to me, he did it last year, and he's come up to me wanting to do it this year. And he said, you know what, Drew, when you take those teens down to beach camp, I know you're going to need a bus driver. He goes, I'll drive those teens. I may not be a small group leader. Please don't put me in a condo with them. <laughs> right? <laughs> he goes, but if you need somebody to hop in a bus and drive them somewhere, and I'll do it on a volunteer basis, I'm your man. That's what I'm talking about. He's not focused on what he can't do. How many people would have just thrown the baby out with the bathwater and said, you know what, Leading, you know, teenagers really ain't my thing. I ain't doing nothing. Jesse focused on what he could do, and it's the biggest gift. It's the biggest gift. And as I was writing this, make no mistake before you think I'm preaching at you, as I was writing this, God brought something to my mind because my children's pastor has been writing me and the staff this past week saying things like, hey, if y'all know any volunteers that could help out one Sunday a month just in our nursery or 365, would you please send them my way? So here I am writing this stuff going, ooh, that's good. The, you know, I'm sitting there writing all these points, make sure that no one else has problems, focus on what you can do, not what you can't. Ooh, I'm such a great speaker. And then all of a sudden God, you know, all of a sudden kind of brings up what Rebecca was writing to me. And I'm like, Oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Ooh, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Kids ain't my thing. They're not. Kim and I, when we first got married, we were children's pastors for about six weeks. It was a disaster. It was bad. We still, every now and then, we'll try. We'll try to make. Uh, we'll, we'll get to laughing because I was the guy leading worship right? So we had about 15 kids, right? We had the video screens, and I was up there, I'm amazed that he loves me. It was bad, right? I mean, the kids are just looking at me going, who is this guy? What's wrong with him? Like, we literally went to the pastor after about six weeks and said, look, we've tried to be faithful with this. We're trying to stand in the gap. We're terrible." Can we please get a teenager? Can we please get some kids in the double digits age-wise? That's all we ask. That's all we ask. It's true. But you know what? And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. This is God convicting me. I had to humble myself and go to my children's pastor today and say, you know what? Um, I think I've got a person for you to work one Sunday a month in the nursery. She goes, who? Me. (laughs) Me. And she did a double tap, huh? I said, okay, me. It's me. And I told her, I said, now, let me just get this straight. I ain't changing no poopy diapers. No. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not wiping any tea honeys. I ain't doing that. No. I said, but you know what? I said, you know, even though it's not my gift, so to speak, I said, I, I, one Sunday a month, I'll go in. I'll love them. I'll love them some kids. You know, I'll do whatever. How would our church change? And and we've got so many people who serve so faithfully. we do. But how would our church change if people had an attitude like Jesse Brooks? I'm not going to focus on what I can't do. I'm going to focus on what I can. You do that, and churches change. The next generation gets invested in. The last thing, to lower an expectation. You can actually lower an expectation of a of uh, uh, the next generation when you lump them into a group as opposed to viewing them as individuals. Yes, 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 we've got organisms such as Echo. Yes, we've got groups of 365 or a nursery or whatever. Sure, and those things are good. But again, each and every one of our desires is to be known as an individual. It's, it's the same thing for them. Matthew 10 30 says this. It says, the, Jesus Christ said, The hairs on your head are all numbered. So, if God is that current with us as an individual, why do we try to lump teens and children together all in one group? Because each of us have our own hopes, fears, dreams, goals, successes, failures, doubts, and they're all individual. There are no cookie cutter children, nursery children, or uh, echo teens, they don't exist. They've all got their own individual people. And under each individual umbrella are people that God knows individually. Isaiah 43, 1 says this. It says, God says, I've called you by name. John 10, 14 through 15 says, I know my own, and they know me. Psalms 139, 1 says, O Lord, you have searched my soul, and you know me, me. And Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, it's not just the nursery department or 365 or Echo. There are individual people with individual names such as Madison Judd, Abby Thomas, Cameron Burns, Eliana Scott, Isabel and Olivia Wood, Bethany Dowell, Trevor Harry, and more who make up those those groups. And if we just lump them into one group as opposed to saying, I'm going to know you by name and individually, oh, we miss out. Miss out. You enjoyed the band today? I did. It's not just a youth band. There are individuals who make up that youth band, and their stories are incredible. We talked about Matthew Hunt, and here is someone as an individual who's stepping into his God given call on his life to worship and lead others into worship for the King of Kings. But there's more than that. There's a Miranda Beachy, if you knew her individually. One of the meekest, and I mean that in a good way, non-spotlight-seeking teenagers you're going to find. But yet, she, she's going to get up here on a Sunday morning in front of you and play her guitar and lead worship. It's incredible. Someone like a Garrett Beachy who is known for making videos, but what you don't see as individual story is how he sits down with Matthew and, and they help plan the youth band. How they helped mold and shape and guide it. What you saw today didn't just happen overnight. They didn't snap their fingers and say, let's have a great youth band. Woo! A lot of hard work put into it. And Garrett was a part of it. Jamie Helms, if you think he can play bass, hear him preach. There is coming a day, I kid you not, there's coming a day very soon where Jamie Helms will be preaching and each and every one of you will say, Jamie Helms is so much better than Drew. It's coming. <laughs> and I'm pretty good. I'm not lowering the bar there. I'm raising the bar. Right? And I wish I could say that Haley Hall would be here preaching. But you know what she but you know what she wants to do and what she's going to college for next year? She wants to be a traveling evangelist. And that's gonna happen. If you hear her speak, she's phenomenal. And then you see an Elise Colquitt up here. Who's one of the most creatively funny. Gifted teenagers, I think I know. I joke with her all the time, you're really a secret ninja, aren't you? (laughs) She never denies it. She never denies it. She never says, yes, I am, but she never denies it, so it's coming. But here's my point. My point is, is that you don't have to get involved on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or do all this stuff. All you got to know is pick a couple of kids or a couple of teens and get to know them as individuals, and you can make a difference. For those of you saying, I don't, I don't know where to start, let me just throw out this challenge for you. Take, not this Sunday morning because it'll be a little bit different, but start, start with next Sunday morning. Take a moment, and as uh, 365 is releasing, take a moment and just stand there and pray, God, open my eyes to that one kid who needs to be known. He'll do it. I promise you he'll do it. And maybe five, ten minutes into it, I guarantee you he's going to reveal that one kid and you go, up to, you go up to that little boy or girl and say, hi, tell me your name. And they may look at you kind of funny like, what's this adult doing this or whatever? But if you're consistent with it, oh, you can see some incredible things happen because you know them as an individual. They will come into this church running, looking for you. Be that person. They don't come in here running, looking for 365. They come in running, looking for you. Because they know you know them. We've gone downhill a little bit with how to lower expectations. Let's go uphill. Let's talk about how to raise them. First way to raise them, to raise expectations for our young people, is to view them through the lens of their potential. View them through the lens of their potential. We're going to love them and accept them for who they are, (coughs) but then we're going to view them and give them a vision through their potential. And let's go ahead and get this out of the way. When you're talking about the young generation, <coughs> they're going to do things that doesn't live up to their, to, to their potential. They're going to make the wrong decision at the absolute wrong time. They're going to let you down. They're going to blow it. They're going to do immature things. It's going to happen. If you go into trying to invest in the next generation with the expectation that they're never going to blow it, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's going to happen. Now, let me go and get this out of the way. There's also going to be times that they're absolutely going to blow your mind with how much they exceed your expectations. It's going to happen. But you're going to, to de- you're going to have to deal with some dirty diapers spiritually, immaturity-wise. You're going to have to. It's part of it. But your goal is to love them, accept them, and then say, what you just did there, that's not you. And you raise the bar for them. See, Jesus Christ did it. Right in John 14:12, he looked at his disciples, his disciples who literally spent uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being the twelve stooges. That's literally what they did, and he had the audacity to look at them in John 14:12 and said, "Hey, these things that we've been doing, greater things you're going to do." What? they fought like cats and dogs they were jealous they were jealous over each other right you know if somebody got if they they didn't if they got slighted in any way they're going to jesus saying hey i think you should call down fire from heaven and burn up that town right jesus is like what are you talking about they're loving him one minute jesus christ they're denying him the next right they can't get their act together for nothing and Jesus Christ, he always corrected him. There were times that he would look at them. And I, I, it's funny to me because I know Jesus Christ thinks about this. And he goes, how long am I going to be with you? He said that to them. He goes, how long am I going to be with you you get it? But at the same time, he looked at them and said, yeah, but you know what? I'm going to treat you through my words and my actions for what I see you doing, not for how you're acting now doesn't mean that you agree with. It doesn't mean that you like. doesn't mean that you don't correct when they blow it. But it means after you do that, you always bring up. Let me tell you what I think of you. Can I tell you the difference between someone just being negative and cranky as opposed to someone raising an expectation? It's this right here. Because if all you do is go out and point out what they do wrong, but then you never say, but this is what you were made for, and give them something positive. All you're doing is you're, you're, you're being that old guy. You are. I'm sorry, but you are. If all you do is show up and talk about how the teens talk during, uh, during Sunday morning service, right, and how they were always on their cell phone, but you never take a moment to go get to know them by name, their story, and everything else. You're being that old guy. It's the truth. I'm not excusing what they do, but at the same time, how would it change their life if you go to them and say, hey, will you put your cell phone up for me? And I'll tell you what, hey, is there any way I could take you out to lunch today? Because I want to get to know you. That's the conversation. It's funny, if you, uh, if you go to Judges chapter 6, you read the story of Gideon. And here was Gideon to start out. Literally, Gideon is hanging out in a wine press because he's scared to death because the Midianites have the Israelites, um, that's a lot of ites, um, uh, under, uh, uh, they're in, just in bondage, right? And, uh, and so he's hiding from the Midianites. He's worried and concerned that he might get caught, right? He's trying to just get some wheat so hopefully he can feed his family and make them some bread, right? He's a coward. He is a coward, hiding. And the angel of the Lord, read your Bible, the angel of the Lord sits on that wine press and, and, and looks at Gideon and says, well, hello, mighty warrior. Read your Bible. What? And it's so funny because even Gideon didn't get it. He looks at me and goes, "Um, Excuse me, sir, uh, can you explain why God's abandoned us? That's how God treats people. He doesn't treat them by what they're doing, He didn't treat Gideon like the coward he was. He looked at him and said, Well, hello, mighty warrior. How would you change someone's life if you walked up to a child or teen who was not doing what they were called to do and said, well, hello, Mighty Warrior? It's easy to look up here and see a youth band and say Mighty Warriors. It takes someone that has the character and the nature of God to look at someone sitting on the sidelines and saying, hello, Mighty Warrior. Are we willing to do it? I think back on the people in my life who did that for me. I think about a coach, Mark Estes. Some of you may know him, who as a 10th grader would take me home from basketball practice, just me, and would sit there and say, Drew, you're not going to make the mistakes I made, Drew. You're going to do it. You're going to be there. You're going to do incredible things. And I hadn't even turned my life over to Christ at that point. Fast forward one year, I turned my life over to Christ, right? And, And a lady by the name of Tammy Love, who was my youth leader at the time, some of you may know her, literally says, Drew, It's time for you to preach your first sermon. And it was terrible. I mean, literally, all I could do because I was so nervous was get up there and read the story. I talked about Peter and how Peter was such a failure. And I was like, and Jesus still loved Peter. He said he restored Peter. But after he said he was going to deny him three times, he still loved him. And I went up to Tammy. I was like, how was that? She was like, it was great. She probably had to go. She probably had to go repent after that because she lied to me. (laughs) But she viewed me based on my potential. She gave me the opportunity. I think about when I started college in Christ Chapel, right? How John Wood and Annie King and people like that gave me the opportunity to be a young intern, call a god on my life. But ooh, I made some mistakes. Oh my gosh! I even think about as I started Best Buy, how Kevin Bader. Was my general manager at the time, and his, here's so funny about Kevin Bader because it's a, we think that these things can solely happen through Christian people, but the truth is is that if God can talk through a donkey like he did in Judges, he can talk through you'd be you'd be surprised what he can use. And Kevin Bader was my general manager at the time. I'm I'm sorry if you're listening, to this Kevin, sorry, um, but uh, he would uh, he's he's not. I was up, he's in somewhere, um, <laughs> but Kevin just poured into me as a leader, and it was so funny because. <laughs> He he had a mouth like a sailor, and he would sit there and tell me at times, he would say, Drew, you're the most blankety-blank leader I've ever seen in my entire life. You're going to lead men. Wow. I mean, and and I'm like, and I'm having to filter what he said, but he poured into me. If he can do that, just spew. (laughs) Spewing out just language like a sailor, and I'm not justifying what he did, but the heart behind it was, I'm going to believe in you based on your potential. Imagine what we could do we do no less. And here's the thing you got to understand when you're talking about treating people, treating the next generation based on their potential as opposed to how they act is that you're going to have to go ahead mentally prepare mentally prepare because some of them may not like it. Some of them may have such lower expectations for themselves and here you come along building a relationship with them and you say I see better things for you who you are and what you're doing right now, that's not you. They may not like it. They may resist you. You do it anyway. You may walk up to that person saying, you may walk up to that young person and say, what you're doing, that's not you. Hello, great Amari warrior. And then they resist you. But you're doing it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. I'm going to tell you somebody who lives this out incredibly, she doesn't know I'm talking about her today, as Marquita Self. Hey, Nene. Because let me tell you what Marquita does for our young girls. If you are a girl between the ages of 12 and 17, and you are on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and you post a picture of yourself trying to look like you're 35, going to the club, ready to go bounce that thing back on up, right, because you're half-naked, because you're trying to get a boy's attention, Marquita ain't going to let you get away with it. And not only is she going to say something to you, but she's going to call your mom and say, hey, do you know this is going on? Oh, you don't? Let me tell you. Yes. Yes. And she doesn't do it because she's trying to be mean. She doesn't do it because she's trying to, be, to embarrass somebody or whatever. What she's saying to those young girls is, you posting half-naked pictures of yourself, you're better than that. You don't have to do that to get a boy's attention. If she can do that, what could we do? And, oh, don't get me wrong. She's done that a couple of times, and I wish I could say that every girl she's done that to has come and thank. thank you. No, she, she, gets, she gets blocked. <laughs> friend request denied. But you know, it's true. And then, and then she comes to me. She goes, are you still friends with those, with those girls? Yes. You tell them. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And then I get the friend request denied. I'm like, uh. Oh. But that's the truth is that whether they accept it or not, you're never more like Jesus Christ than when you treat somebody for what you see in them, not for how they act. And we're going to love people, we're going to accept people. Next thing, and we're, we're wrapping this up. Next thing is uh, in order to raise the expectations for people, is to be the initiator of all things positive. Be an initiator of all things positive. Don't mean you have to be perfect, I'm not saying that, but be an initiator. The child who you see is lonely, talk to him. The teen who has no friends, be one. The child who is hungry, feed them. Do whatever you have to take, or do whatever you have to do in order to be a positive force in a young person's life. Because you're never more like God when you do. You have to be an initiator. I'm sorry, but being a positive force for good in a young person's life doesn't happen through osmosis. You can't just walk by a person and go, e- okay, they got it. You can't just sit there and say, Jake, this wouldn't have worked if you said, Jake, okay, I'm going to be a part of the Rangers. I want the Rangers to do good. Yeah, It wouldn't have worked. Jake had to be an initiator. And our other Ranger men had to be an initiator. Who is it that you've got to go make that step to? Because I'll tell you right now, the other team, they're being initiators for all things bad. 1 Peter 5.8 says that your enemy, be be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He wakes up every day going, how can I be on purpose and messing up somebody's life today? If that's what he does, we've got to do that but the opposite. We can't just sit there and say, they're going to get it, I know they will. We've got to be an initiator. Jesus Christ in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, okay? He looked at his disciples he looked at his disciples one day and said, hey, I must needs go to Samaria. I have no clue what must needs mean. Must needs, we don't, who knows? I have no clue what that means. I'm just going to translate it. He finally looked at his disciples and said, I got to go to Samaria. Because he knew that there was going to be a woman who had this incredible, horrible past that he needed to, to provide grace to and the salvation knowledge to. He knew that. And so when that happened, he didn't look at the disciples and say, hey, i got to go to Samaria, so I'm going to hang out right here and let me think about it. Okay, she got it. No, he walked. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked. And then when he saw her, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to wait for her to talk to me. He didn't sit there and say, I've got this incredible message for her. I'm going to change her life, but she's going to have to come talk to me. No, he went up to her and said, what's up? And start talking to her. See, who are those teenagers? Who are those children (coughs) that you're going to be the initiator? Don't wait for them to come to you. And again, according to your ability, nobody's saying that you've got to go do stuff that's going to be out of balance with your life or whatever. But who is that? How could you change someone's life? By just going up to them and saying, hey, you didn't ask this. You didn't deserve this. There's nothing that you could do to earn it. But I'm going to come be a part of your life, whether you like it or not. I'm here. you change your life. You would. And oh, by the way, last time I checked, that's what God did to us. In Romans, there's a very telling verse in Romans that says, For there is no one righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek God. So he initiated all things good with us, and we could do no less than to do that for others. Can have the band just come up real quick. Last thing you could do, just in closing, last thing you can do to raise expectations. So after you uh, view them through the lens of their potential, after you initiate positive things in their life, the last thing you could do is you could be consistent. No one's asking for you not to have a life. I'm not saying that. Emergencies come up. I understand that. Don't start something you ain't going to finish. If you're going to say hello to that child every single Sunday, to the best of your ability, you be for that child every, there every single Sunday because they're coming to look for you. My little girl comes in every single Sunday looking for Haley Crosby. Be consistent. Doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, you have to be consistent. If all you can do is give a smile and a hug, do that every single time. If you're supposed to encourage, do it every single time that you can. If you're, if, you're, if you're supposed to invest Thursday afternoons to pick up that child or that teen, we're just gonna hang out and go, and go have ice cream. Be there every single Thursday because they're looking for it. If they hand you a schedule that says, please, come to my basketball games, and you'll say, I'll make the ones that I can. I can't make them all. I'll make the ones that I can. Then make the ones that you can because they're looking for you. Because see, they once you invest in their life and they trust you, see, then they've got expectations for you. And it's up to you to not meet, meet, or exceed their expectations. They're not looking for perfection. Listen to how God treats us. That's how God treats us. And I want you to listen to this because we've heard this so many times, but the overarching theme is, God, you're consistent. It's found in Psalms 139, 1 through 12. It says this. It says, for the choir director, a psalm of David. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me, individual. You know when I sit down or stand up. That's a lot of sitting down and stand up. So you must be watching consistently. You know my every thought when far away. That's a lot of thoughts. So you must be consistently watching me. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me when to stop and rest. Every moment, every moment, you know when I am. You know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You both proceed and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. You're consistent. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there too. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I can ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. This, this is where Drew comes in because you are consistent, oh God. Never failing, never changing. If that is how he treats us, we can do no less than to make the attempt. No one's asking you to be perfect. No one's asking you not to have a bad day or to miss a meeting. That's not what I'm saying. Thank God for the people in my life that have been consistent with me. How could you change someone's life just through the power of expectations? By telling them, you're better than that. I love you. By telling them, I'm going to believe in you. By telling them, I'm going to be there for you. I know who you are and I know you by name. It's up to you to, to determine how that looks like. That's up to you. What I'd like for you to do to seal these things in our heart, would you stand? I just want to give us one moment. Just for one song, and as God seals these things in our heart, would you just worship it and say, God, speak to me. What where do, where do I play? What role do I play? That's the part where you and God have to work it out. If I try to work out this part for you, I'm trying to play God, and you don't want me as God. I'd be a bad one. But you talk to God. You find out from him what he would have for you. Let's worship together and move on. Thank you.
1: Senses, all I need, it's all I want, all I seek, and without.